kind of tugs at the old heartstrings, doesn't it? Good morning, everyone. Um, Pinnell, I want you to know that I shamelessly lifted something from your Facebook post yesterday. I want to share that with you today. It's called Small Kindnesses. This is by Danusha Lamaris. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by. Or how strangers will say, bless you, when someone sneezes, a leftover from the bubonic plague. <laughs> Don't die, we are saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it, to smile at them and for them to smile back, for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder or chili. I added that part or for the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass. We have so little of each other now, so far from tribe and fire. Only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat. Go ahead, you first. I like your hat. It's an awesome thing to know that you're preparing a talk about love because the subject is so vast. How do you condense the kernel of what love is about um, succinctly, get the point across? And I guess what comes to me over and over is that I could talk about love every Sunday because the aspects of it are so broad, they're so uh, encompassing. You see, we have an idea about love when we first hear the word. We think about affection. We think about a deep connection with another. We think about the way we exchange love as human beings. And the kind of love I'd like to talk about today, because that part is relatively easy. We, we're, when we're little kids, it's I love you or I hate you. <laughs> and we, we, we set that out pretty early on. But the kind of love I'd like to talk about today is the kind that's bigger than our imagination, bigger than our current human understanding of it. And so I'm going to go back to the Christmas story for a moment. If you remember when Mary got the message that she, from the Holy Spirit, from the angel, that came to her and said, you're going to have a baby. And I know you've heard me say this before that Mary's first response is, oh, how can this be? How can this possibly be happening? Which would not be my first response. <laughs> and then she says, let it be done unto me. And sings a beautiful, a beautiful hymn of acceptance and praise and love to God. And uh, that's, that's a beautiful thing that she did. 
Likewise, when Joseph found out that his fiancée was pregnant, he was like, well, hmm, how am I going to explain this one? And an angel came to him and said, it's cool. I paraphrase. <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's going to be okay. This is ordained by God. It's okay. Now, think about the context in which this story comes about. These are two people living in a culture in which uh, marriages were usually arranged. There was an agreement between the, um, the man and the parents of the young woman or between the two sets of parents. It was an expected thing. And uh, for her to be pregnant out of wedlock was shameful. And to take a wife who was already with child was a big deal. Now, I'm keeping in mind that what we're talking about here is the Christmas story. Again, and I'll say this throughout Christmas, it doesn't matter whether it actually happened or not. The allegory, the story, appeals to us at a deeper level than the surface. And so here are Mary and Joseph faced with pretty unusual circumstances, a pretty unusual happening, and they choose to move forward. Mary chooses to accept this gift not as a burden, but as a glory. Mary chooses, I mean, Joseph chooses to love Mary. He chooses to take her as his wife despite the circumstances. And I've got to say that in that context, that would not be an easy thing to do. Likewise, are we not called to love beyond? Our initial thoughts, the initial circumstances, uh, beyond the appearances of things, beyond the way people might treat us, we're called to love anyway. So that it becomes a conscious choice and not something that we wait upon for our affectionate heart to open up so that we can. It's not about just affection, although that's a huge part of it. Those of you who've been in partnership for a long time with somebody know what it's like when you first fall, fall in love. You fall in love. You fall. <laughs> Boom. But what sustains a relationship over time, whether it's between you and your beloved, you and your children, you and your parents, you and your neighbor, is that choosing of love over and over again even as the person that you're loving goes through their own changes in life, even as you go through yours. It's about choosing to love. Even if you are no longer in a relationship with that person, love doesn't die. Love remains. So then when this child, born of love, born of something greater than appearances and human conditions, when this child appears, he carries out the mission of delivering an example of what love is by embracing the disenfranchised, by, by healing those that nobody else would deal with, by talking to people that he was not supposed to talk to. 
He gave the example of choosing love, of making it a conscious act. So the way love fits into the Christmas message is uh, allowing love to be reborn in us, to be enlivened in us, to be lifted up, to, to edge itself into those dark corners of our consciousness that have not been illuminated yet by love, that have not been stretched into that choice. This is... I'm not going to say it's hard, but it is. It is, uh, it's challenging, and it uses the very best of us. But what saves us from the labor of it is the fact that love already lives in here. Love is already part of our DNA. Love is a gift we've already been given. We don't have to get more love, just like we don't have to get more faith. We don't have to get anything. It's already there. We have to allow it by our choice to allow it to be so. I was looking through, um, I was looking through the writings of Charles Fillmore, our co-founder of Unity, last night. And, um, and I love to go to Fillmore because you can read the evolution of of his journey in his writing. He starts out very, very uh, uh, cerebral, very much up here, defining things, outlining things. And as he gets uh, older in his life and as his writings evolve, you see more and more of the balance of his heart and his mind. So it's very interesting to look at the evolution of his writing. And I'm not saying that he was the first one to do this, but he took love and defined it as for his the people of his time and for us as something more than that um, that human uh, affection that I keep speaking of so I'd like to uh, just give you a little bit of Charles Fillmore's words so that you can see how he took the concept of love and defined it as something much deeper more universal as Charles Fillmore explains it, love is an inner quality that sees good everywhere and in everybody. It insists that all is good, and by refusing to see anything but good, it causes that quality finally to appear uppermost in itself and in all things. Now, I read that, and I went, now, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait just a second, wait just a second. We have got circumstances going on in life where we don't see love in it. But that's more about our seeing than it is about the thing. I, I had a, a little bit of an emotional turmoil yesterday and I read this and I went, mm. refusing to see anything but good, refusing to see anything but good in the circumstance, allows us to transcend the circumstance. And even if you can't see the good yet, you can start to clear out a place for good to show itself to you, for love to show itself to you. Are you with me on this? Mm -hmm. Oh, Abby is, so great. <laughs> 
So, so it requires us to go, now wait a minute, the way I'm looking at this right now, is there another way I could look at this? Yes, there is. There is. And I, I know that what always comes to my mind, and I hate for this to be a mantra, I can't, tell the whole, I can't tell the whole story, but it ends with, there must be a pony in here somewhere. Yeah, that one. Uh, what you have to go through is a byproduct of pony to get to pony. Okay? All right. So, um, so on the really tough days, I'm just going, okay, pony, time. It's time for you to show me, pony. Show yourself. And, and I, I put humor on it because that's what's required a lot, is for us to find the humor in things so that we cannot take things too seriously, to look for the good. And that's where love opens up. Love for others, love for ourselves. The other thing that we get out of the lesson of love that was modeled by Jesus, as far as we know from what's written in Scripture, is um, the idea of charity. And if you read that 1 Corinthians 13 that Finn read this morning, a lot of times in Scripture, instead of saying the word love, it says charity. Because those two are very closely related in their origins. And we tend to think about charity as uh, some money in the, at this time of year in the Salvation Army um, bucket. Or we think about giving to um, nonprofit organizations or causes that we support. But charity slash love is also about the way we view humankind. The way we view... Um, the way we view each other, the way we look at humanity, the way we look at the universe. I saw a definition one time that said love is gravity. And I'm still working on that one. Immediately I thought about the movie Interstellar um, because they equate love and gravity there with each other, which is a concept almost too big, big to wrap your head around. But it has to do with immutable law. It has to do with the fact that love is as gravity. It holds and binds. That's, that's a tremendous concept, isn't it? But the idea of charity, Jesus uh, expanded people giving mindlessly, giving alms to the poor, if you will, to treat others as you would like to be treated. Love God above all things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love yourself. Do those things. He said, look after this person. Take care of the sick. Raise the dead. Small order. <laughs> Cast out demons. Heal lepers. Raise the... Yeah. But he said, take care of each other. You've got to take care of each other. He told the disciples that before he died. Look after each other. Do that. Well, then that expands it. That takes it to what I first read about the waitress who brings the coffee and the chili. Maybe not in the same meal, but brings those things to you. It has to do with that idea that we've been exploring this year about generosity. Generosity and, and love come hand in hand. I watched a National Geographic documentary last night 
about um, the event in 2018 of the uh, boys' soccer team in Thailand that got stranded in a cave. Uh, the monsoon rains came a little earlier than they were expecting. They had not closed the cave. The boys went exploring, and they got trapped by rising water. And it took an international team that had uh, cave diving skills. It actually was spearheaded eventually when the, um, uh, the Thai ministry let them do it. It was spearheaded by a couple of men from the UK who had done cave diving as a hobby. But they knew what they were doing. And they trained others. And they brought all 13 of these stranded boys out of the cave. It's an amazing documentary. I'm sorry I can't tell you the name of it right this minute. Um, um, but it's, it's just beautiful. They only lost one person in this rescue attempt. And it was one of the... Thai Navy SEALs that went into the cave and was staying with the boys while the rescuers were coming to get them out. And um, the oxygen got too, too uh, low in the area where they were kind of huddled up trying to keep shelter from the rising waters. And um, he died. His widow uh, was featured in this documentary and when she was talking about her husband, Saman, she said he was a very generous person, and he wanted to do this. And she said, generosity is the beginning of everything. So I wrote it down real quick. <laughs> generosity is the beginning of everything. What is generosity more than love? That's love and generosity holding hands with each other. And so, um, do you see that it's more about how we are being in the midst of this, in the midst of this life we're living? Are we being the presence of love? Are we being that which is already in us? Are we allowing it to illuminate our dark corners? Are we allowing it to make us more full and and more whole? Are we allowing it to express through us in ways that we had not imagined? And don't you know that some of the times that you've experienced those greatest moments of love have been the ones that have taken you off guard <clears throat> because you didn't have your guard up and love flowed through you? You know what it feels like. One of the men from the UK <clears throat> excuse me, said that he had deliberately avoided having children in his life, all his life. But you talk to him now, and those boys that he pulled out of the water were his kids. And I saw on film that heart breaking wide open. And that man being expanded from a long-held um, uh, idea that he'd had for his life, that children were not part of it until they were, until their lives depended on him. Just as a parenthesis, do you know how they got these kids out? They had to dive, they had to travel uh, 
almost uh, over two kilometers, most of it underwater. An anesthesiologist was brought in. They floated this idea, and he said, I don't think we can do this, until that was the only idea left. And they gave these kids IV anesthesia, put them in a mask that was a positive airway so that um, if there were any leaks in the mask, it would go out of the mask instead of into it. They could only do four kids at a time. And, um, and they gave these kids injections so that they would be anesthetized and hope that they had them in the right position as they swam with them, that their airways would stay open and that they wouldn't suffocate or drown. And halfway through the mission, <clears throat> they had to bring them up. I'm sorry. <laughs> halfway through the cave, another team was there waiting to give the kids another injection to keep them under. And they got all those kids out. Just before the water broke through, and all of the rescuers, hundreds, that were waiting to get those kids out, they got out of the cave minutes before it was flooded and closed off for the next eight months. That's what love does. You can call it a rescue mission. You can call it doing your job. You can call it problem-solving, brainstorming, finding the possible and the impossible. But in the end, it's all love. That's what it is. That is the very best of us. Love. Love endures all things. This is from a sermon that Fillmore preached. Let me get the right date here. It's long. I'm glad I wasn't in the room. Um, it was, um, this sermon was given on August the 24th of 1919. Right after the world came out, or right after the United States came out of a pandemic. And Fillmore defines all the different qualities that love can show up as, and there are a few. The final one in the sermon is endurance. Now love is all enduring, love never faileth, endures all things. Now it is absolutely essential in this consideration of the twelve manner of fruits growing on this tree of love, that we know it endures. Paul ends up that wonderful exposition by stating that love never faileth. It never fails. It does not make any difference what may come to pass. Love never fails. Love never faileth. Imprint that upon your mind and let it go down into your heart. Let it rest there. And know that through this law, through living and the 12 manner of fruits, you will accomplish everything that you set out to accomplish.
I do not care what it is, but you must practice these principles, not that you practice to develop, but simply to let that which is, that which belongs to you, that which exists in you, express itself. Charlie did not mince words, ever. He gave orders. And so during this season, as we figure out how to emerge from what we've been through into what we're now in, as we do that, it's good to watch those holiday movies that have um, pretend snow that looks so real. And uh, as we watch um, George, uh, George Bailey. yes, thank you, George Bailey. As we watch him uh, go through his life, as we watch um, Scrooge figure out what's really important, as we do all those things that make us uh, happy inside, know that we're, it's only happy inside us because it's already there. It's just going ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. That's your little love bell ringing. That's what it is. And so, let the good feels come. Let them come. Don't inhibit them. Don't put a condition on them. Don't expect those moments to last because it's when they fade, and I'll remind you of this in January, when they fade, then the real, the real meaning of love emerge, emerges differently. The choosing part of love. The prayer part of love the extension of ourselves to others part of love. That's when it emerges. The, uh, the good feelings, the endorphins, the, the uh, serotonin that comes when we are, are happy, when we're among our beloveds, that's, um, that's a beautiful thing. And it reminds us. And then... We keep loving, despite what we're feeling. Because you know our feelings are fleeting. They are. The good ones, the bad ones, they're feelings. They're part of our journey. They're part of being human. And so let it bloom. Let it bloom this season for you. And if just for a moment, you can set aside your analysis of the Christmas story, and let it just be. Let it just be that something happened that woke us up, that gave us new dimensions. Something happened that has endured. And that's how we know a truth is when it continues to be relevant, when it continues to apply to our lives that are so different than they were 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. Those truths endure. Love endures. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things.
And now faith, hope, and love abide. The greatest of these is love. Love never ends. Let's pray. There's a scripture from 1 John. It says, so we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. And that's a beautiful word, abide. So in this time of meditation, I invite you to abide with God. Let everything, everything that might trouble you or ache you in body, mind, or spirit, let all those things be set aside for a moment. You can pick them back up later if you'd like. But for now, abide in God, that great, impossible to grasp in one moment. God. Abide in the mystery. Abide in the awakening. Abide in the idea that love is in this moment expanding you in a deep, deep level. Let love remind you that the stuff in the farthest reaches of the universe down to those tiny organisms in the sea are all held together by a love that is vast and immense. It is the movement of the planets, the exploding of stars. It is a single light on your Christmas tree. Let your heart soften in these moments as you abide in God, as you abide in love. What if it's all love? The messiness and the uncertainty and the beauty, the generosity. those dry, empty moments, all of it, love. 
Just breathe into that. Just breathe. And now, if you will, imagine love doing what Finn spoke about earlier. Imagine it illuminating you from crown to toe. Love bringing healing and peace. And if you are going through a difficulty in your life, If you're in the midst of a transition in your life, let love be the engine that moves you, that holds you, that guides you. And now, if you will, extend that swelling of love to all humanity. Send it out across the waters, across the lands. And now let it bless all living things. Land and sea and air. And those of you who are joining us from afar, we extend our hands and our hearts of love to you. For we are not bound by distance. Our hearts keep us close. So be at peace, beloved. Let love be that guiding star. Keep your eyes upon it. Marvel at its beauty. And know that all is well. All is love. And we are grateful. We're so grateful. And so it is. Amen and amen.